Welcome to the 98th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest whose health psychologist title can bring everyone to the table, Dr. Allison Hughes. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. Today's guest is a self-proclaimed animal lover, methodology geek, and chronic disease and disability advocate who's going above and beyond to gather data to help in the advancement of diabetes therapies. Her countless hours of research confirm social support is vital, and I couldn't agree more. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, this episode was brought to you by My Diabetes Diet a personalized management and weight loss plan created specifically for people struggling with diabetes-related issues like high blood sugar, unwanted weight, high cholesterol, and more. Their team of qualified nutritionists created these plans to help you improve your overall health, lose weight, and manage your diabetes. They believe every person deserves to live their best life possible without feeling too restricted or forced to eat foods they don't like. As we roll into the new year, this is a great tool to help you reach your goals. And they hooked us up with a stellar discount. So be sure to visit the show notes for details and links. Number two, the hundredth epic unicorn episode will welcome in the new year. And there's still plenty of time to get involved. As a serial entrepreneur, I created a campaign to highlight my fellow creative diapeeps. If that's you, Shoot us an email to Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com to learn more. Number three, the affiliates page is live and is being regularly updated with brands that I just think are making our lives easier and they're hooking us up with a discount. So be sure to check it out at DiabetesDailyGrind.com and the Just the Facts Please podcast series will soon launch. Hit us up if you would like to join the list of people making a difference in the diabetes community. Number four, and kind of my favorite, I'm a little biased, but the real life diabetes happy hour takes place every Thursday, including the holidays. The gathering has nothing to do with alcohol, but is for adults. I hope you'll join me for entertaining pub talk, live music, random themes, and trivia sessions with other people who get it from around the world. Please note, you do have to register via the private Facebook group or by clicking the happy hour logo in the show notes. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter. Leave an iTunes review. Subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering because it doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, everybody, let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Hughes, to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Um, where are you calling in from? Yeah, so I'm calling in from Cambridge. Cambridge, okay. Well, thank you for joining the show. And what's the weather like there right now? It's pretty blustery. It's kind of like the kind of a normal kind of winter day here, a little drizzly, but I like it. Okay, well, good. Yeah, we uh, here in San Antonio just had a cold front come through. So my fingers are little icicles. No. <laughs> Yeah, which is okay. That is totally cool. It's been, you know, 100 plus degrees for a while. So, anyway, okay, welcome to the show. And 
let's talk diabetes. So let's talk about your diagnosis. Age seven, right? Yep. Yep. So it'll, it'll be 25 years at the end of this week. So I have like <laughs> this really exciting milestone coming up, but yeah. So I was sleepwalking and that's how my mom caught my diagnosis. Yeah. We, uh, so I grew up in this old, old house. I'm, I'm talking 1850s house. And um, for, for anyone that's been in a house that old, they've seen like the really scary, like stairs where they're super short and super steep and it doesn't matter how old you are you're you're probably going to trip down those stairs and so I was navigating those stairs in my sleep every night going up and down to go downstairs to the bathroom and to chug um regular pops but I think it was like seven up was in the fridge and I was just chugging two liters like as a (laughs) seven-year-old and my mom caught me and she was just like oh no something's not right and so thankfully she caught me because you know that was really the only the only time the symptoms were really coming out were you losing weight I mean yeah yeah I lost I think I lost like 10 percent of my body weight which was you know when you're a a little kid that's a lot yeah yeah but they they just didn't it was the sleepwalking that was really like the the kickoff Gosh, I, I sleepwalk. I've been known to sleepwalk. Do you still sleep? You do? Okay. Yeah. 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 Once you do it past 18, it's it's considered that, that it's a very, very likely thing that you're going to keep doing it as an adult. So yeah. So yeah, I learned, I learned that in one of my first psychology courses. I was like, dang it, it's going to be a thing now. And so yeah, every once in a while, you know, I'm still just kind of, you know, tripping around the, the apartment and stuff, but thankfully not those old stairs. <laughs> I have to say, and it might have been, it was in a previous, uh, anywho, um, I have actually sleptwalked and given myself a shot. Oh, what? Yeah, I know. Because I give my uh, long-acting insulin shot, mm-hmm. at, like it, I used to give it at 4.32 a.m. purposely, mm-hmm. just, and then I would go back to sleep until I had to get up for the job or whatever. But um, yeah, and uh, so I've created a system, so now I leave the pin needle on my bathroom nightstand so that I know if I get up when I finally get up if that needle's there then I'm giving my shot anywho it's too much but yeah sleepwalking yeah. and diabetes not a good combination no yeah yeah um so I, yeah I, I definitely feel you there that's that's one of the the nightmares is like oh am I just gonna sleep eat or am I going okay. to give insulin and I'm one of those people where it's like most of us I feel it's like I'm just half awake with one eye open, just giving, you know, insulin in the middle of the night. And, you know, I feel really good about that because then I can look back. But like, yeah. if I, you know, if I didn't have a pump on, obviously that'd be a little different. It's a little tricky. Okay, well, let me ask you, when you were first diagnosed 25 years ago, did you, yeah. did they encourage uh, insulin pump therapy or did you just start with injections and go from there? Yeah, so we started with injections. So I grew up in a really rural community. So um, we had to drive like an hour and a half one way to get to a, a good endocrinologist. I mean, we had local ones, but they were just, I mean, honestly, decades behind as far as information goes. So, so we, we made the drive, my dad and I would make the drive, um, to Toledo and we would just go honestly spend a day seeing a team, which is what you need when you're a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had the, um, the CDE, we had, you know, uh, nutritionists, we had the endo, and I feel like there were others we saw as well. I mean, got blood work done all on the same day. It was just, 
it was, I think it was the structure, you know, that I needed at that age. Did they also, and I, I love, there's a, a Native American community in Oklahoma that I loved going to their facility because it was a one-stop shop when somebody was diagnosed and mental health is one of the things that they provide. So were you able to also see a therapist or anything, a counselor? Um, so to my knowledge, that never came up. Um, you know, I think that would have been a great addition to the team, especially with transitioning from, you know, childhood to, you know, adulthood and, and going through all those changes. Um, but yeah, that never came up. I wish it would have. Well, that's something I'm a real advocate for is mental health is so important in the doc. Well, for everybody, but mm-hmm. we definitely wear a, a much larger uh, weight on our shoulders some days or, or better than others. But um, okay, so you diagnosed at an early age. I mean, Laban serves your doctor. So what, what, t- walk me through your college years and why you chose the profession that you're in. Yeah, so um, so before I was diagnosed, I wanted to be a veterinarian, and that was like my whole thing. I was like, just I love pets, I love animals, any animal I'm so excited about, um, and rescuing. You know, I that's like the dream is that we'll just rescue animals one day, have our own farm, sort of thing. But then I got diagnosed, and I was like, you know, oh, health healthcare is interesting for humans, and you know, and so then I started kind of getting these messages and, and thinking through like, oh, maybe I could be a nurse and I could go do that. And then I started taking nursing courses and realized that I, it just wasn't a good fit for me. It wasn't my passion and I wasn't interested so much in providing care, um, which I found out later, I wasn't interested in providing care, but I was interested in kind of gaining the understanding perspectives of like the, the patient to provider like communication mm-hmm. and um, how we can make healthcare providers um, do a better job, you know, really with connecting with, yeah. um, you know, people with diabetes, people like us. And, you know, for me, I've had so many good and bad experiences that I feel like that really helps me to um, do the research. It's like, we, we joke in the research community that research is new search. And it's just like, you know, we joke that it's like, we're just taking our experiences and, and, you know, putting into papers. And and that's what it really was for me is, you know, what's certain experiences are going to promote a certain type of behavior and certain type of of healthy engagement. And, And for me, it was like, I really wanted to take my knowledge and take my experience and just take it to the next level. So I went and got a clinical psychology master's degree and did some um, counseling and um, crisis management in the homeless community. And, um, and then I ended up getting a, earning a PhD in health psychology, focused in disease management and um, going right to the T. Lindy exchange after graduation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Health psychologist. Mm-hmm. Give me a sentence or two of what, what exactly, what is that? What is it? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in general, a uh, health psychologist can be many different things. And sometimes it's saying, okay, you're someone who's in chronic pain and you need a therapist to um, talk you through and, and work on um, maybe behavior change or, you know, you're thinking around your chronic pain. Same thing with any other chronic condition. It, so it can be like a therapy more things. So, um, you know, providing therapy around your chronic disease or chronic conditions, it can also be um, what I do, which is on the data research side of things. So, you know, I I do 
one-on-one -on -one interviews um, with participants. I do focus groups. We collect survey data. I mean, really any type of data collection I've done it. Can you give me an example of one of the focus groups? Yeah, so um, one of the recent focus groups we just did um, was with Zeal and Pharma and this data will be coming out soon. And uh, what we did was we were asking about um, people's experience with glucagon and you know um, it's severe hypoglycemia in general it's it's been what all my projects have been around for oh gosh about the last two years there's been this really heavy focus on severe hypoglycemia and like are you giving yourself mini dose of glucagon you know do you even have glucagon in your home we're like really focused on that right now with working with zealand and also eli Lilly. so we've got a lot going on with that no, that's great. Mm -hmm. It's been really great. And there's a, can you hear the feedback? It's gone now. It's, and oh. It's so weird. So yeah, there, don't might hear an, there might be an alien that's joining this conversation. Right. right. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay, well, so I think one of the things that I am so happy when we uh, connected, and I think I stalked you after seeing you, were you speaking <laughs> at P1D, what were you, diabetes, uh, mine? Yeah, I think we're at the okay. Diabetes Mind event, and then we connected through there. Yeah. yeah, and will you refresh my memory as to what you were speaking about or speaking to in that scenario? Because obviously you wowed me. <laughs> oh, I think we were in the same group. We had to yeah. do like a team building yeah. sort of prompt um, that Amy threw out there, and I think that we just connected through that. Yeah, it's so, and it's so sad to say that like that, but... I, I am sure like you are attending so many virtual conferences and all the things and it's some days it's overwhelming and mm -hmm. I love meeting so many people from across the world who are making a difference and definitely what you're doing at T1D Exchange is beneficial. So can you speak to and I'm just because I am now working with T1D Exchange as somebody because I have filled out the registry there and it's so important that people with diabetes do these things and uncomfortable about filling out anything, but we can't advance research if you guys don't have the data in order to figure out what to do. So can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So what I'll say um, is that was one of the motivations for me too, is becoming someone so involved with science and with data and you know, speaking with people like us every day. It's just, I felt for so long like my voice wasn't heard and specifically that I didn't have a place at the table. And so for me, doing research like this, I get to bring us all to the table. And I get to say, I've got this quote that Amber said during this interview, and I know it's important. And then I get to take that to these pharmaceutical giants that are producing drugs and, you know, determining so many, so many um, small little details about these drugs that impact us every day. And so for me, like, that's what's so powerful about the work that I do is I feel like I get to do, you know, this cutting edge work, you know, just right on the edge of, of what I should be doing to give back. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for those of you, I mean, we all, I, I, you see on social media often all the negativity about tech industries and all the things. And granted, there's a lot of those comments are valid. I'm not yeah. taking away from anybody's uh, rights there or thoughts about it, mm -hmm. but I think mm -hmm. that if, all of us with diabetes were a little bit more proactive with research. And there are so many studies. I've been a part of a number of insulin 
therapy uh, trials. And if it wasn't for my honest to God feedback about one drug in particular, they wouldn't have changed. And they said that to me later that it was because of some reactions or how I reacted and I, whatever, but I always think about it as I want to help the younger generations have a more, you know, a pleasant experience. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've always kind of sacrificed myself in that. Have you been a part of any trials? I haven't been a part of any trials. Like I'm always in the wrong location. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough, like balancing, you know, all, all things diabetes and all things research when that's like the the core part of my job as well. It's like, you know, it's just pretty much diabetes all the time, but I haven't participated, but many of my friends have. So I feel like I'm, you know, getting a sneak peek of, of what they have. Well, somebody asked me recently, they interviewed me about working in the diabetes community in addition to having diabetes. And do you yeah. feel like you're talking about diabetes all the time? And I know that I do, because mm-hmm. that's all I read or talk about. So you mm-hmm. feel the same? Oh, I, I definitely do. It, it, it can be really tough to unpack some of the things that I hear in, in interviews and focus groups. And so what we do is for our focus groups, um, we say, hey, you know, don't share with anyone what you hear. Um, and so then it's like about five to seven people expressing sometimes really um, dark moments. Yeah. You know, I will say where, you know, they've, they've had to have these emergencies with glucagon or with paramedics or family members. And, you know, at the end of the day, that can be really, really tough to unpack. You know, I have a great team that we all debrief after these things and just make sure that, you know, we're not carrying that with us and carrying that with us, but it's, it's really tough, you know, but I will say we've, we've got that part, but, you know, as you were bringing up earlier, the registry, we have the registry where, you know, it's, it's not interviewing, but it is getting like these little pieces of data, you know, across a long period of time. So we can say, here's our, what we call real world data. And here's what diabetes actually looks like out there, as I say, in the wild, you know, and I think that's really exciting to see is what the registry has turned into. Do you feel like whenever you do those interviews, even though you can't talk about the individual things like that, but I mean, I learn from every single guest yeah. So do you feel like you're picking up on things or, yeah. It, it makes me, so I don't, uh, I will say um, I feel a little at peace sometimes because someone will say, you know, I used to really struggle with this or I'm currently really struggling with this. And as an interviewer, I don't, I don't, you know, say like, oh, hey, I have diabetes because mm-hmm. I feel like that impacts the the conversation and it's about them. It's not about me, you know, so but at the end of the day, I'll just be like, wow, they were struggling with the same thing I was struggling with at that age. Or, you know, we're, we're really eye to eye here and having the same issues with the same insulin right now or something like that. And so, right. yeah, it's, it's almost empowering just to see how close we all are, you know, even though I feel like we're all kind of in our silos. So I'm kind of like, you know, I try not to be, but sometimes I'm just in my little research silo, you know, and I'm just like, you know, not discussing many things, but, you know, once I, once I get out and talk to the community, it's like, oh, we're all going through the same thing. And we have been for years. Definitely. And I say this, I mean, really on a daily basis, it's about finding your community and your community may be very different from mine. There's so many diabetes apps right now that are out. And it's, again, I just think they're all tools. And um, I just think about how drastically my life has changed and all the people that I've met from being uh, 
social like this. And we were laughing about this at a happy hour recently, just having people come into your home and would you host and all these things. And it was like the diabetes community. If you called me right now and said, listen, I'm coming through San Antonio. I need a place to stay. But like, girl, you got my spare bedroom. <laughs> you know, like we're always there to help each other out. Yeah. Um, as a weird sense of trust too, I guess. Yeah. I was, um, I was telling my husband about it. It was like, uh, he's basically a, a, a DOC member as well. Like he's, yeah. you know, been with me forever and he gets it, I feel. And so um, one of the people in the community posted on Facebook and he's just like, you know, I'm struggling with insulin. Uh, I need to get my hands on some. And I don't even remember exact details of what he needed. Uh, and I just looked at my husband. I was like, I'm going to just donate. I'm like, I'm going to, we're going to do a GoFundMe or we're going to do something. I was yeah. like, you know, we're going to figure something out. And thankfully, you know, this guy ended up getting a, you know, a major donation locally from, from people who literally had the insulin, but it's just like, you know, you think about that. It's like in a second, we're all just ready to give whatever we can. And I think that's one of the most powerful things is it's like you said, I know in an instant that, you know, I can put a call out and just say, I need this or I need that. And I'll be able to get it because everyone has each other's backs. And I think that's really powerful. It's crazy. I ran out of insulin. This is like a few years. I've only ran out of insulin twice in my whole life in that I did not have extra when I was out on a trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not enough. I, whatever. I made a major mistake. But um, in two different states, I had to put out a call to the diapeeps and be like, I have units left. This is whatever. And I had somebody drive an hour and a half to drop off insulin. Anywho, it's just, we do keep each other alive. And I'm so thankful for that. And yeah, and just, I'm always trying to reach more people because like you said, we're all in our own little silos. And yeah. so, yeah. But okay, with everything that you're doing in the research world, do you have any insight on, I'm going to say the future of diabetes or what we've been promised a cure in my life now for 38 years. And I love being on the other end of it because I get to learn about a lot of research and uh, studies and things that are out there that the average person doesn't know about. They just think, oh, we've got to take the same insulin. It's the same price and all these things. Well, no, there's a lot of other things. So you don't have to say brands or anything like that, but is there anything in particular that's giving you a little hope Um, for what we're going to call a cure? I, that's tough for me too because I'm such a pessimist about the cure. I, I am just one of those people where it's like I have seen so many hopes that then become failures. But I feel like right now with where we're at and where we're going, I feel like we're the closest we've been. You know, where it's just like it, I do feel a little hopeful, but I I can't think of anything that you know is really super exciting to me at this point, probably because this year has been a wild year um, for all involved. And, you know, COVID has, you know, definitely changed research funding and it's, it's changed as I'm sure everyone's seen the way nonprofits work. You know, we're not getting as many donations and, you know, many have had to do significant layoffs, many major diabetes orgs. Um, so, you know, thankfully with the exchange, like we haven't had to do that, you know, but it's, it's been scary out there. And for sure. Well, and I think one of the things that I've really um, has given me hope is that, and you can talk to this if, you, if you'd like about insulin pump therapy or not. I mean, just the advancements in what equipment we have available and what does that look like for the future? Do you use a pump? 
Yeah, yeah, I use a pump and a CGM. Okay. And out of the two, you don't have to say brands, which <laughs> is more important to you, the pump or the CGM? Gosh, definitely the CGM just because I've always had a really rough time with lows where, mm. you know, just across the board, you know, like I said, the past 25 years is just like, it, it doesn't matter how much insulin I have on board. It's like, it just hits me like a ton of bricks. And mm. so once I got my CGM, I got it at the beginning of grad school because I knew my schedule was going to change. My priorities were going to change and it was right. Oh my gosh. It was like 2012. So it still wasn't you know, as fantastic as some of the newer CGMs, but it was one of those things where it changed my life. Like it, it just was so much better. Like, you know, my husband didn't worry as much. Like I was one of those people that would just sleep through a low, Mm. you know, and I never used to have that problem. And then it just got to the point where that was the major problem. So it's been a lot better now. Did your husband, do you share your data with him? I do not share my data with him. I... If I'm sick, like this never happens, but um, a couple of years ago, I got this crazy stomach bug and I was just like, look, I can't eat. Uh, the glucagon is ready next to my bedside if I need to do a mini dose, but I'm just going to give you my, my share account and you can just see what's going on. And I've done the same for my mom before too. I mean, if you'd like a funny story about um, why I don't share my data with my mom anymore, she called the paramedics uh when so she's in Ohio and I was in Texas at the time um I think I was wrapping up my master's or just starting my PhD anyway and she's seeing that I'm low like 45 and stuck at 45 but I wasn't I was like 95 and my CGM it was like the first 12 hours so it just wasn't accurate so she calls the paramedics and I and it's like I don't know early and I'm just in my pajamas hearing the, this pounding downstairs in like my cat pajamas, right? And I like open this door and it's like, these, like six grown men with a stretcher. And they're like, is someone here having a diabetes emergency? And I'm like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> so that's why my mom doesn't get to see my data anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's fair. Did they find it funny at least? Uh, the paramedics? Yeah. I think they were upset, which I, which is fair. I mean, there's no reason you need like six guys there anyway. I don't know what they were thinking was happening in my house, but um, it was just so weird. But yeah, so it was a, it was a special day, and now it's a big joke with us that she just doesn't get to do that anymore. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, totally off subject, but kind of about your love of animals. Yeah. So I. Now, I might have said this in past episodes. I think I'm just so fascinated by whether or not this is true. <laughs> so word on the street for cats, if they are diagnosed with diabetes and are given insulin therapy, in the, if it's the beginning stages, their body, their pancreas then begins to produce insulin. So they pretty much, mm. I'm not going to say cure diabetes, but reverse whatever situation. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that, but that's fascinating. We need, I've got to figure out some more. I, I mean, we should get a vet on here. That would be great. <laughs> well, and I'm like, I was saying this to some people that I love that do not have diabetes. I'm like, well, then why aren't we learning from what they're doing with cats? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of research going on. I don't know that cats are involved in anything, but um, I know. <laughs> I'll see. 
if you if you're listening to this podcast and you can speak to that in an educated fashion please contact me that's one of the many questions right now that keep me up at night or keep me sleepwalking at night <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so with I'm going to end with with all the research that you do as a health psychologist it's hard for mm-hmm. me to say do you have anything that you want like a newly person with diagnosed diabetes uh, what would you say to them I would say get involved in what you can get involved in. So uh, specifically, I think the easiest, you know, way to get involved right now is to get on Facebook, get on Twitter, get on Instagram and the diabetes community. I think we have so many powerful resources, free resources there uh, that you can meet someone, I mean, someone like us, you know, that we've had diabetes for decades and, you know, can really point you in the right direction. You can, you know, start listening to podcasts and seeing what other people are doing. And it's really about social support. I think for me, uh, you know, I knew a couple people growing up that had type one, but we weren't close. And I, I, and we, I went to camps and did the whole thing. But I think at the end of the day, it's still, it's very lonely. And I think, you know, for me, it was, it was just because I just kind of felt like I was just kind of like me on an island by myself no matter what my parents did I mean they were amazing the family very supportive you know my friends were awesome about it but I still was just like wow this is awful (laughs) and but I felt like I had to keep up like a positive face about it like oh I have diabetes but everything's great and I've heard a lot of people talk about that before is like they went through the same thing and I didn't realize I was doing it, but I felt like I had to put a positive face on for it and for others kind of performing almost. So I think, you know, find that social support and really find people that you can be real with uh, and say, I'm having a terrible day. You yeah. know, I, I woke up low or, you know, blood sugar is great, but I feel like I'm super high. You know, it's yeah. like we all have those days where I feel like diabetes kind of catches up you know, whether it's mentally or physically. I will say that when I started a JDRF keynote speech at one point, and the the beginning thing was for a lot of us, especially diagnosed at a younger age, we feel like we're on an island. And I didn't realize, like you were saying, putting a smile on your face, that I was suffering in silence. But I really didn't know that I had a voice or that I could complain about it because this is what life is. And so I think it's a reminder and this is so, if this pisses people off, you know, to each their own, but I'm a person living with diabetes. I'm not a diabetic because yeah. then that makes me that, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I preach as well. Jane Dickinson has really been really impactful in the community. Jane has type one and um, she's a, a researcher and, you know, faculty and, and she has, uh, she talks about language and she talks about how important it is and also how important it is that so important it can translate to behavior. So how you talk to me as your patient, as a person with type one, that translates to how I take care of my disease. Mm. You know, so if you put labels on me, that's I'm going to carry that and take that home, and it's going to impact my blood sugar. You know, so I think uh, that's been something I've been really trying to get the word out on, and you know. Jane's fantastic with it, but you know, Jane's one person. And so I love joining her cause and saying language matters, you know, it matters across all groups, you know, health wise. And I think we need to be really careful and and ask what people prefer. And, you know, I definitely prefer a person with diabetes, but you know, I'm not going to get, 
you know, too upset if someone calls me diabetic, just because I understand that for some people, they don't care, you know, like it's, it's like, that's what they call themselves. And it's definitely not for me to say that they're wrong. It's what they want to identify as. I got to say that with family and close friends, joke, and not jokingly, I, I know they'll start to say, well, Amber, somebody who's diabetic, oh, person with somebody living with diabetes will correct themselves and look at me like, did I, did I, is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> did I say it okay? Yeah. And I'll laugh. I'm like, as long as you don't say diabetes, I'm yeah. pretty okay. I mean, you know, and even with that, I'm like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Okay, well, since, I, you know, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot just in some of the research I do at the T1D Exchange, and I also have outside collaborations of work I do with my my collaborators that are in academia, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of research. And one thing that's I try to just carry across the board is, you know, friendly language that doesn't put blame on anyone and, and making sure that we, we keep a level playing field as far as making it equal for everyone. And, you know, you know, something we've been thinking about as well, especially at the exchange is diversity and mm-hmm. making sure in our research that we're doing a better job and we're doing a more effortful job of recruiting um, participants, not only for the registry, but also for some of the interview work I do and the survey work I do, you know, who come from diverse backgrounds. And, you know, it's not a, a lot of the research that comes from online is it looks a lot like the, the online community. It's, um, you know, well-educated, high income earning, very engaged women white women you know and as much as like that is some of us you know that's not all of us and right. so you know we've been really working hard to get that message out is that we're looking for more diversity and you know we're looking to support others you know with more diverse messages and so that's been a, a good chunk of my work is like okay we got to get this word out but it just it takes a lot of time it definitely takes a lot of time, and I will be sure to put in the show notes yeah. um, all of the links in order at, for the things that we're chatting about so that it's a, just go to the diabetesdailygrind.com website and click, and you'll find a lot of other information in there as well. So as this episode will come out shortly after your 25th anniversary, and I ask often, and I, well, I'm sh- shocked at times, are you going to celebrate? Uh, yes, we are going to celebrate. Actually, let me get the, a little and I ordered a cake topper. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. <laughs> I've never seen that. Yeah, I got it on Etsy actually. So it's really cool. I um, need you to send me the link to that because I want to promote the heck out of that. So yeah. it's holding up a sign that it's a, a door. Is it a cake topper or what is it? Yeah, it's a cake topper. So, um, it's actually going to go in some cheesecake on Friday. So <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of that right now because that is okay. so cute. And I had no idea this existed. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Well, so are you, besides the cake, are you going to indulge in anything else? Um, I think that's pretty much it. I feel like, you know, in the past couple of years, diabetes has been a lot, you know, I, I've, I've switched up pumps a couple times. Um, you know, I went from you know, looping to the pump I'm currently on. So I, I went from um, Medtronic to then Medtronic and looping and then now to Tandem. So I've just been like, I feel like I've kind of been through it this year with diabetes. Yeah. So I just want to kind of celebrate getting 
here, you know, and, you know, 2020 has been wild. So I just want to kind of take a moment to celebrate that, you know, as much as that has gone on this year, you know, I I still want to respect this milestone and, you know, see it as important. And, you know, I think it's important for the whole family. I mean, it it takes a village, you know, so although I won't be able to celebrate with family, I, I hope we'll be able to the next time I'm home. Yeah, and I got to say, for the newbies out there listening, every year, every six months, every month that you live with this disease is a milestone. Yeah. You don't have to celebrate for all those, even though I try to, um, Mm -hmm. because we're never promised tomorrow. And I say every episode now, do your best and forget the rest, because days you get it, and there are days that your body just doesn't care. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, for me, I, I just don't, push if I don't have to so like there's some days I wake up and I'm just like you know it's gonna be one of those days where I just need a little extra rest or I just need to take it a little easier and that's been really good for my mental health as well to just be like okay I don't have to mentally push myself so hard today or you know I I don't have to beat myself up if my blood sugar is a certain way today it's just like I letting myself off the hook was so important and it just took time. It just took time for me to realize, like, this is just who I am. This is just what diabetes is. And I can do my best. And sometimes that still isn't good enough. And so that's what I try to tell people, too, is, like, don't beat yourself up. Like, every day is a different day. Yeah. I totally. I absolutely hear that message for sure. Okay. Really the last question. Your love of animals. How, yes. many, how many pets do you have? We are restricted. We can only have two in this apartment. But if we had it our way, we would just, I mean, let loose. Um, So we have (laughs) our almost 12-year-old dog, Ginger, and she's a handful. She actually has pancreatitis. So that's been, yeah, yeah. So we've been kind of dealing with it this year with her health. I think that's another reason it's been a long year. But I mean, she's doing great. She's just very very picky about food now is what I'll say and then um we have our our little street cat who is I think he's nine and um dumpy the dumpster cat (laughs) I I met him in a dumpster and he was an outdoor cat and then suddenly he became an inside cat so the name stuck but you know if I had it my way we would just take in all the animals like all of them um and my husband's the same way he's like let's do it you know let's let's take them all in. So it's definitely a goal for the future for us. I kind of feel like I see a new career in your future. It's going to be a farm for animals with diabetes. I would love that. That doesn't, I mean, I mean, to be honest, uh, my, my cat mentioning earlier, the, the allergies are real this year and he has it where when he gets allergy fits, like he has to take steroids and the vet was like, prepping me like just so you know these steroids could cause diabetes and I'm like don't worry about it like I'm and she's just like oh it's it's a bad thing and I'm like I'd rather he breathe well you yeah. know um and be able to move than uh I'm not worried about diabetes so yeah so for me that's that's definitely something I thought about is you know you know taking those those cases that are um more medically complicated I definitely feel like we could handle it like I said, I, this is like the third episode I've talked about at pets with diabetes. I need to find <laughs> some research scientists. You're in the academic world. I need you to yeah. hook me up. 
Yeah, I, I'll I'll go looking around see if I can find anyone because I'm sure there's got to be somebody out there, you know. And like, can a bat have diabetes? <laughs> and if a bat does have diabetes, how would they know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just we're kind of figuring out a lot of really interesting information about animal health as we go. It's something yeah. that I discuss with family often because we all are pet owners. It's like, what do we really know about taking care of pets? Because once they get to a certain age, you're like just throwing meds at them and hoping something works. <laughs> and so we we always joke about that. But truly, like there's all these new, you know, medical, you know, diagnoses that are coming out and we're still discovering animals out there. So I think it's an exciting, yeah. an exciting time. Well, Dr. Hughes, thank you so much for joining the show. And like I said, I'll have all of this information in the show notes, hopefully articles about diabetes pets, in addition to all this, <laughs> all the things that you can participate in to help with diabetes research without getting poked or prodded. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, nutshell. the best way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for having me on. And, you know, I love discussing, you know, diabetes and, and the journey. We're all on it together. So it's really important. All right. Well, enjoy uh, the rest. Well, enjoy your week and um, happy 25th anniversary. Thank you so much, Amber. Right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I don't know about you, but I feel confident a farm filled with animals living with diabetes is in Dr. Hughes' future. <laughs> Her passion, help others, and love of animals is the perfect combination to make this happen. Thank you, Dr. Hughes, for geeking out over collecting data that will help improve my quality of life with diabetes. Before I wrap up, I have a few quick reminders. Number one, this episode was brought to you by My Diabetes Diet, a personalized management and weight loss plan created specifically for people struggling with diabetes-related issues. Like me, they believe every person deserves to live their best life possible with this disease. Be sure to check out the show notes to score a discount code to get involved in the My Diabetes Diet app. Number two, the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour takes place every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be sure to register via the private Facebook group or by clicking the Happy Hour logo in the show notes. Number three, we're always looking for partners, sponsors, etc., who share my passion to provide support and resources for all people living with diabetes and their loved ones. Penelope would love to chat, so hit her up at penelope at diabetesdailygrind.com. And finally, as we roll into the holiday season, please remember you are not alone. If you want to contact me directly, I can be reached at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com on all social media outlets, and a message from you makes my heart happy and keeps the episodes coming. And I mean this, especially with the happy hour. It's a great way to connect. I'll be entertaining on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Maybe we should all get dolled up. So don't be shy. Get involved. That's a wrap. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.